I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli. I write for The New York Times, The New Yorker, and Newsday. I'm Terry Teachout, drama critic of The Wall Street Journal. I'm Peter Marks, theater critic of The Washington Post. Welcome to the first episode of 2019 of Three on the Isle, a twice-monthly podcast from New York about theater in America. We're hosted by American Theater Magazine, a publication of the Theater Communications Group. Hello, guys. <laughs> Hi, buddy. <laughs> the three on the Islers are happy to be back before the microphones here in our posh electronic area high above 8th Avenue in Midtown Manhattan. And Terry's uh, with us by Skype from his comfy uh, posh uh, uh, right in Connecticut. You He's know, Lair. You remember He's when, when Bob Dylan did the theme time radio, he always said that he was broadcasting from the Abernathy building, which didn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm speaking to oh. you from the Abernathy building in Stores, Connecticut. <laughs> I like that. That's great. That's great. Some, some kind of like fake headquarters. Yeah. Like, you know, That's you right. know, the 3 OTA building on you know 10th Avenue. Yeah. The second half. The second half of the 2018-19 season uh, is soon going to be kicking into high gear. And we're all ready to apply ourselves once again to the task of breaking it down for you. On this, the 26th edition, believe it or not, of Three on the Isle, <laughs> we're going to address some of the major current events of the theater world, some reflective of our field's ongoing impact on the larger world, others a sadder reflection of the passage of time. And for a discussion of how musical theater raises its voice to affect humanity... <laughs> what did you have... Come on, Peter, you know I cannot pronounce I three doing this. syllable I want to hear words. You pronounce it is impossible. <laughs> you yes. trapped me. Yes, I wasn't trapped. No, I want to hear you. I want to hear you pronounce, you know, you're, you're, uh, Elizabeth, your accent is now a na is trending nationally. You have to understand that. Can Our audience now, of all the features of this podcast, it's your pronunciation of that SpongeBob. most draws is the largest audience. When in doubt, when in so, doubt, Elizabeth, just say SpongeBob. Okay, feel good concerts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Feel Go good ahead. concerns. Let's All right. Anyway, this. so theater, because we're just like wishy-washy, you know, well-meaning people, right. we're concerned about causes. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful. And She's Peter, trying to get around the word humanitarian, just so we all know. <laughs> Peter is going <laughs> to lead us in a report on Lin-Manuel Miranda's mission, his mission to Puerto Rico with the much bellyhood uh, opening there of Hamilton. Mm -hmm. And I think, Peter, there's going to be a lot of talk about fans into this podcast yes, and exactly. you are a hamilton fanboy I like am. just you really are You're right? right i follow it are around you, the world are you co cosplaying <laughs> am i cosplaying <laughs> i would be cosplaying george washington is I that think. who you george would yeah washington's coming home no sorry i'm sorry this is uh, again <laughs> this is going to be a special um outtake yeah. <laughs> section yeah exactly <laughs> exactly the real for the real well as for elizabeth she wandered <laughs> through the mad forest of exhibitions and panel discussions that is BroadwayCon earlier this month, and she's going to engage us in a talk about the contemporary folkways of Broadway fandom, hype, and promotion. And with Terry's encouragement, we're going to spend some time contemplating the death of an actress who truly does deserve the words Broadway legend affixed to her name, the one and only original Carol Channing. So you're right. There is kind of a theme running through yes. this. Uh, I hadn't even thought of that when we were sort of, you know, spitballing where we, the what we're going to talk issue. about. It's kind of like all the ma the permutations of fandom yes. uh, that we're dealing here uh, in one way or another. And first up, uh, the ubiquitous Lin-Manuel Miranda Broadway wunderkind and Goodwill ambassador to, well, you know, the entire world, 
And uh, in this case, his mission uh, on can, behalf can of Puerto I, can Rico. Can I just interject that? Yes. How, how saintly, I mean, <laughs> like, right. okay. Not, so the guy, you know, he, yes. he, he, his dog is a rescue that he found <laughs> on the beach. And now he just saved a drama bookshop. I mean, the guy <laughs> is like the yes. Mother Teresa, but good. You know, yeah, he's of, he's performed two of his three required miracles, I think. You know, I mean, you know, for the church to make him a saint. I think you're right. I was hoping we were going to go down this path <laughs> in talking about this because we are three critics and slightly cynical human beings, on top of being, you know, uh, worshipful of something, other things in the theater. I have a gooey chant. Uh, I have a gooey chewy center, though. Uh, you do, <laughs> Elizabeth. I do. Uh, you're a humanitarian, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but uh, uh, Terry and Elizabeth, uh, I thought we, yeah, I was hoping we could uh, uh, talk a little bit about the phenomenon, you know, Lin-Manuel, the phenomenon and, and how maybe that's being uh, 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 cultivated here uh, by uh, Lin-Manuel and his and his coterie. One of the things that I did when I was in uh uh, was uh, in Puerto Rico for last week, the week of um, uh, January 8th to about the 13th, was uh, take a side trip to a place called Vega Alta where his father, Luis Miranda, was born. And there is there a kind of Miranda shrine. Oh, my you goodness. You walk into a placita, and a placita being a small plaza, and in, directly in front of you is a vast mosaic commissioned by, I believe, the Mirandas of Lin-Manuel. Um, it takes, a, and his grandfather, who is a noted Puerto Rican figure, the two of them, and he looks like Simon Bolivar. Oh my I mean, he looks like, you know, a revolutionary hero. And to the to the left is a, is a little, um, is a little uh, 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 door to a place called the Museo Miranda. Of and course. In, and in, in, right, which is like, you know, this is sort of a specialty of Elizabeth's, I think. The, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the weird museums. strange museums. And inside are memorabilia and actual uh, likenesses by, by artists in abstract form and photograph of Lin Manuel. And busloads of people show up. You know, these are people I, that he has sort of, um, you know, willed to come to Puerto, Puerto Rico to help the island for the at the point of this run. And for those three of you out there who don't know what I'm talking about, Lin Manuel and Hamilton have traveled to San Juan uh, on a basically a three week benefit for the island and particularly for its arts groups. Uh, they're donating all the proceeds, all the investors, all the producers are donating the proceeds after expenses to an arts fund for Puerto Rican um, um, uh, arts groups, uh, museums and theater groups and dance troops uh, that's gonna collect, they're estimating about $15 million, which is a, a tidy sum. On top of the $43 million he has raised through uh, another organization um, and his own foundation, his own funds, uh, to help the island. And what this all, uh, in short, what this all resulted in was one of the most emotional performances I have ever been to in my, you know, lifetime of theater going. It was, uh, he's received as kind of a hero of the island and, you know, with some griping from some quarters, it's interesting, it's not universal. And, uh, but when he walked out on stage for the first number, there was such a, I've never, it was a sustained roar and he had to sort of freeze in place one of those moments, but it went on and on and on. And, you know, for the next two and a half, two and three quarter of hours, we were treated to one of the, you know, to, I've seen it now five or six times. It was as good as the first time I ever saw it. Well, actually, I'm just curious, like, what, what's the ground for, what's the grounds for the gripes? 
What's oh, the... well, there are, there, first of all, one of the interesting sidelights is that when you speak out on public issues, as he has um, uh, in Puerto Rico, he, you can get into some hot water, one of those being a very controversial, and not to get into the weeds here, but a very controversial uh, financial control board that was put into place for the island after the, because it's, it's $72 billion or so in debt. The federal government, uh, Congress passed a, a law called PROMESA. Oh, right. Anyway, uh, he ventured into this. He was asked about this, and in the, at the beginning, he talked about his support for the idea of these controls, which half the island is, you know, uh, outraged about that they're 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 cutting government spending. This led to a hike in fees at the university, where the um, the the uh, production was originally going to be staged in the uni in the university theater there, the uh, sort of this historic theater, and. And uh, this is where Luis Miranda went, the University of Puerto Rico. And ultimately, there was going to be some student protests, uh, the fees, and they were going to you know, base that around Hamilton. And then the, uh, the employees of the university were talking about striking, not the, the faculty, but the support staff. And this led them to shift the uh, production off the campus because by law or by the agreement, the police, Puerto Rican police cannot go onto the campus this hmm. goes into all kinds of political issues that are aroused in terms of government intervention. And they moved it to a government, um, uh, 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 sort of a, the Lincoln Center of mm. San Juan, which is a beautiful building in and of itself. But it's created some, you know, bad feelings, hard feelings. Uh, and I think there's probably, you know, a sense of haves and have nots. They've tried, you know, people who can afford to go to this production in, in a time of real pain. Although he's made 10,000, he and the producers have made 10,000 tickets available in a lottery for $10 a piece. So there is some give back going on. So anyway, so that's the sort of the basis of the, of the, uh, of the, 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 whatever hard feeling there is. Mostly it's good feeling. Let's be real. Right. You know, part of what fascinates me about this story, Peter, is that Puerto Rico is so totally aware of a Broadway mm -hmm. show, right? I mean, right. I, I realize it's it's hometown boy makes good, you know, right? One of one of the most beloved of all uh, journalistic tropes, but nevertheless, uh, we of course in the United States, Hamilton is is ubiquitous, mm -hmm. but uh, this is actually the first I've ever heard of its having a presence beyond uh, the, the borders of the continental United States. Yes, that's important to and, say. It is the United States. Yes, <laughs> right, right. The yeah. continental. And Hawaii. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are many resonances here. One of the interesting ones being that you know it's a it's a it's a musical about a colony. You know, now taking place in what's essentially a colony. Uh, you know, there's kind of a meta sort of sense here of of that. But also, yes, this is Broadway uh, taking on a a a role that it has. I don't remember it ever having before. It, it, it has absolutely galvanized this island. And remember, Puerto Rico has its own very rich culture and own literature, right. own, own dramatic history. So uh, uh, this, is, this, is, this sort of plays into a, a point of pride for that island. But yes, you're right. It's um, to, to, to the, we're not used to, or any of us, feeling as if we're in the mainstream. We feel marginalized as a, as a art form. So the idea, that was one of the uh, remarkable things and one of the reasons I wanted to experience this uh, was that this is as into the uh, conversation, the political, cultural, humanitarian conversation uh, of that island and this country as any show has ever uh, 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 managed to uh, create. And you know, the mere fact that he could get Jimmy Fallon to go down there and broadcast 
from Puerto Rico, which he would never have done if Hamilton were not there. Right. No. He gave him. So I mean, there's a there's a level of megaphone uh, uh, happening here that uh, that well, no other I would dare say no other th- artist in America could possibly have summoned. I mean, in the theater realm. You know, I think that if Beyonce had right. brought a concert to Puerto Rico and saying I'm donating everything, you know, we, there would be a, a certainly a, a, a large amount of of attention. But I think Hamilton occupies some other uh, space. Uh, yeah, it's 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 in a league of its own. It's like I can't think of any other show that comes near. Well, I have a question for you guys because I'm not, as you said, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I've taken on sort of the the harness of, you know, pulling this uh, show along publicity-wise, one of the many. But do you think is there a danger here of overexposure? Do you think he's, I, I was there, Terry, like you, I was there two years ago? <laughs> I mean, no, I, I mean in terms of Lin Manuel and his and his, you know, public you, sort of persona i mean he's on the well, cover look, of that's what magazine. i mean i oh. thought that two oh, years ago oh, I've been, no i've been thinking that i've been thinking that he's overexposed like for the past two years i am but yeah. you know look this is we talk a lot in theater in the arts generally about artists and and, and their public responsibilities this is a guy who hasn't done anything wrong mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who has behaved in a genuine is taken this phenomenal success a success he could not possibly have anticipated and he has handled himself in a wholly admirable way how often does that happen alexander well, hamilton I, I, couldn't do it yeah I mean, I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I've, I'm, I've, I've got to say regardless because i have my issues with with his shows from an artistic mm-hmm. point of view but um he's such a kind of great spokesperson mm-hmm. for theater because he's such a fan right. to go back to that True. i mean the times that I, I stopped following on twitter i've got to admit because i was overwhelmed by it's just like it was just too much i was just like i need to take a break from this but he's such a fan like he would go he would tweet about right the matinees of weird shows that he had seen and and just from i remember because i happened to be at the same uh, performance of the visit oh god uh, you know with Chida rivera yeah, yeah, yeah. it was like a couple of years ago so I was at the same matinee that he was, and he was tweeting about it like this gushes of admiration right. within seconds yes. of the show being over. And it was not an easy show. I, I actually really like that show, but it's not an obvious show for his constituency, I would say. Yeah, the other day he, in fact, tweeted, uh, he, he obviously, <laughs> he's in Puerto Rico, uh, Carol King showed up on the stage of Beautiful oh, right. to celebrate the fifth year, I think, of, yeah. it, of it being on mm-hmm. Broadway. And he tweeted... Carol, something like Carol King. Oh my God! If I were there, I would have faded or something. I mean, it's like right. you know, like the same thing. A, a well, not a fifteen-year-old these days, probably, but, a, but you know, a fifty-five-year-old might have, you know tweeted who you know was a Carol King fan. You know, no, it's it's yeah, really. I don't, yeah. I don't think, I don't think we could have asked for a better ambassador for theater to the larger world of of American art and culture. Uh, we're very lucky that, that somebody like this is playing this role. I don't know him. I've never met him. Hmm. But uh, I must say, he seems to me to be what he seems to be, yeah. which is a genuinely decent, caring person. And we all know that in this business, there are people who act like that and aren't like that. And I've never heard any indication that he's anything other 
than the person he presents himself as. We sh- we should be so lucky. Uh, you know, I, I, it's interesting. It, it hasn't spawned the kind of um, he hasn't spawned the kind of imitators we thought we all thought maybe this would have provoked. Although I am seeing at Arena Stage in the spring a play called JQA, which is the it's ba- it's based on the life of John Quincy Adams. Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's not a musical though. Ugh. It's not a musical, but it, you know, it's and and I spoke to the author, and he he says it it was actually in his mind before Hamilton. But I do think we're gonna, you know, uh, there's an interesting uh, other aspect of all this is like, you know, are there other people who not only want to you know, emulate him artistically, but beyond that, want to be the next sort of guy to step up or, guy, or woman to step up and be the, you know, this kind of. Uh, uh, sort of crossover leader. Well, and now that you mentioned that, maybe Elizabeth can. Uh, <laughs> oh my can, God! Can shed some light on that because uh, now closer to home, uh, Elizabeth's going to take us inside a very different kind of showcase for Broadway, Broadway Con. It marked its fourth annual engagement last week. This year at the New York Midtown Hilton, uh, Elizabeth wrote a very lively account of the gathering in the New York Times, and she described it in quite a deft piece of, <laughs> of phrase-making as an extravaganza that was as much about shill as chill. Uh, a reference, I assume, Elizabeth, to uh, one of the musicals that's opening on Broadway soon, uh, Be More Chill. Calm down, Jesus. Right. <sighs> I know you're going to have to go again. <laughs> well, what, what did you... Tell us well, what you saw there, Elizabeth. Uh, I mean, did uh, you see the next Lin-Manuel Miranda? Well... The, no, because it's it's also not quite about that. So just to explain briefly what BroadwayCon is, it's a it's a gathering, it's a it's an expo, it's a Broadway convention. It's the fourth. Um, it was at the New York uh, Midtown uh, Hilton, Times big, Square. Times Square. So in the middle of the the hellscape, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, there were about. 7,000 people there, which is very, very small compared to like the huge cons like Comic-Con. New York is like 250,000. I mean, so we're in a completely different universe there. But uh, what's interesting is all the Broadway stars who are around and doing a show right now mm. were there. Mm. So it's really, it's, it's kind of pulling its weight or actually it's uh, pulling above its weight oh, interesting. in terms of getting people there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were people who just turned up and were not announced. Like they had a, uh, a panel about the You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown 20th anniversary. And Kristen Chenoweth, who's kind of as big a star as you can think of on Broadway, right. turned up unannounced. <laughs> wow. um, cool. And so there were tons of things like that. I, uh, I went to a great panel where Melissa Erico, I know you, Terry, you're a big fan of her latest yes. uh, album. Um, she was there and she was discussing how to create a character with Donna Murphy and the different and Anthony Rapp was on the panel uh, too <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like an afterthought but the the two women kind of like really dominated um, dominated uh they, I felt like they clearly thought about that a lot and I think they're both very process oriented actors uh and it was completely fascinating and it was packed mm. it was packed there was a there was a lecture about the psychology of Sondheim in one of the biggest rooms, and it was packed. Mm. So it's not all like sing-alongs, although there's some of that too. Is there cosplaying? <laughs> there is, but yeah. not also not quite as much. It's not like everybody is in cosplay, right, and it tends right. to be the younger. But some of it was really imaginative and mm. inventive, and I was very impressed that most of the, all the good ones were homemade. Mm. 
there was a, there was a woman who um, I spent an entire week uh, building um, the angel costume for angels in America, inspired by the most recent revival. Spent a whole week on it, and then she came from West Virginia on the bus with the costumes that folded the wings so they would fit on the <gasps> bus. And I love this commitment, right? You know. And then, so then it's she. It's for the w- hardcore. It sounds like it's for the hardcore. It's a mix. There's some of the, there's some hardcore, and then there's more casual. I wouldn't say I'm. What, does hard- it have, do you know what it costs to go? It's not cheap. It's uh, eighty dollars a day. Although wow. you know, when you think of Broadway prices. Right. <clears throat> It's not that it's, much. It's 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 not even. A, oh my god, my voice is breaking. I'm so like it's the emotion is <laughs> getting to me. Um, Eighty bucks doesn't even get you like a real mezzanine on Broadway these days. It's right. crazy. Um, but um, I was really impressed. So one of the things that really impressed me was uh, how racially diverse mm. the convention was. Hmm. A lot more than the Broadway audience. Interesting. A lot more. I saw like a whole. There was a whole group of friends who had come in outfits from Once on This Island. Wow. And there, there were tons of things. I, you know, I saw like That's an Asian great. phantom. I mean, there's very a lot more diverse than I was. That was impressive. And I was thinking, where, like, they are not in the audience when I go to a show. Right. So what is going on there? Hmm. I don't have an insight on this. I really, but it's it, it's clear that it's touching. Well, it goes back to a story you wrote, I think, about be more chill and oh, the sort of the social well, media presence that generated a whole other level of audience that Broadway never really knows how to cultivate particularly. They're not sure what to do, and I think Be More Chill, like no matter what we think of it, it's, I think it's the first show to reach Broadway, not entirely, but largely thanks to its very committed online fandom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Maybe that's what's uh, What's going to happen? With, like, are they going to be okay? Are they going to get reach outside of that? Uh, I'm really curious. And of course, they had a really big presence at, at the convention. <laughs> they had a Be More Chill panel. They had 13 people on stage, mm. like almost the entire cast. Mm. The creatives, they were all there. And it was very well attended, obviously. And then they were doing uh, other panels. But do you, it's... Terry, do you think... I was going to ask Terry this question because I think this is an interesting... Do you think that this Broadway con phenomenon that uh, that Elizabeth is describing... Is it? Does this go to some deeper demand of of fans to have personal contact with the people in these shows? I mean, when you and I were growing up uh, in this country, I don't think we had any expectation uh, of meeting anyone on a stage. In fact, the the wall felt very uh, yeah. well established that this was I, those are people who were untouchable, they, part of their mystique, yeah. and now. There's this other thing where, you know, Kristen Chenoweth shows up unannounced because she knows that that kind of contact is, you know, essential to building her brand. Well, if it uh, if it does, then it's something that I would say goes to the nature of the medium. The fact that we are all in the same room when we see a show Uh, that separation. And I remember it, too, Peter, from when we were young, is in a sense unnatural. uh, theater is a collective communal art, one in which audience and, and performers breathe the same air, share the same space. And it seems entirely natural to me uh, that, that we would want to break that wall down, just, just as the fourth wall has been broken down in theatrical presentation itself, uh, in, in production, it makes perfect sense that we would also want to break it down as part of the culture. Uh, that, that, that sits very well with the with, uh, uh, the effects that the social media have had on American culture. 
I'll tell you something else I was thinking about, Elizabeth, when you were describing uh, this audience. Remember that when you and I and, and Peter go to see a show, we're usually going to a preview. We're sitting in very good seats down in the orchestra. We're having a very particular kind of experience with a very particular kind of cast. I don't remember the last time that I saw a Broadway show after its run had started from the balcony. Mm. Uh, and yet, I think for most people, and probably for most of the people who go to BroadwayCon, that is their experience. It's an important one. Uh, I expect one would have learned a whole lot about them from going to this event. Yeah, I, I, I talked to a fan who had seen a Something Rotten 37 times from every time with the I know they had seen that show 37 times but with uh, with a rush ticket every time so oh. every time from the very f first row mm. and the rush tickets was for that show I think 30 or 35 dollars so it is I mean when you're and when you're in the first row like wow I, I couldn't do it my, my neck could not take that mm. strain but um I find that but you know actually to go back to the fandom uh, there's also a dark side because I think uh, I've read that the uh, the stage door action can get very intense, and there's a sense that now people are owed an appearance at the stage door, and you can see when actors can't or won't do it for whatever reason, they have to be very they apologetic. They get flamed. Online. They get flamed, and they have very like uh, uh, Laura Bernanti, uh, who's in My Fair Lady now, had I think some health issue or some. I mean, I mean, it's a texting show. Also, it's a long show, and. Especially on weekends, you're doing, you know, mm -hmm. three shows. And, and she had put out uh, on social media saying, you know, I'm not doing the stage door. This is why. But I'm signing playbills ahead and you can pick them up, you know. But you have to be super careful. When I say you, I mean actors. The stars have to be very careful because the, 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 the backlash can be ferocious. What And what at heart is this? Why, you know, I don't understand quite why there is a need to introduce yourself to that person. Is that make it them recognizing you and saying you're as important as I am? Um, I'm I, out here. You know, what is this? I'm trying to understand what that transaction is for someone who's going to meet them for two seconds and have them look into their eyes and smile. Yeah, I don't know. I well, really and don't I'm know. not saying that uh, no, I don't mean no, condescendingly. No. I just don't understand that impulse. It doesn't. I don't understand it. Yeah, I suppose it's... there are some Eve Harringtons out of those crowds. <laughs> yes. For, for those of us of our generation, all about Eve reference. All, all about, about Eve, Eve reference. Yeah. It's coming. It's coming to the stage. So it is coming from to our the, friend. Evo, uh, your your sometime friend. <laughs> My sometime yeah, friend. Evo von Hope is staging all about Eve with, um, uh, you know, from that, um, oh, from uh, uh, X Files. No. Oh, oh, Gillian uh, Anderson. Yes. Uh, That's yeah, right. Playing uh, and and uh, playing. Uh, uh, Margot. I'm looking for in I'm London. In London. Yeah. But anyway. Well, look. But, but I'm I sure. What is that? So to explain it to me, I still don't get the. This is an appeal to listeners, by the way. If someone out there has any in insights or can explain, yeah. Because I am also, I don't have that impulse. Me I can neither. sort of. I yeah. I Maybe mean, I've it's had it burned out of me by you know interviewing people. But Terry, sorry. I've I've had it. I mean, I moved to New York. When, how old was I? Twenty nine, and. Uh, it wasn't theater where I had this experience. It was the world of music, of jazz. Mm. And I suddenly realized that it was possible to meet and know the artists whom I had idolized since I'd been in high school. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I happened to choose a line of work where you do interview them. You do get to know people. 
And I looked up five, six, seven years down the line, and it, it hit me. You know, I actually know great jazz mm. musicians mm. Uh, who, as people. And uh, I think, of, of course, there are, if I may coin a word, pathologues out there in, in that crowd. <laughs> as but in I think, any crowd. Yeah, but I would guess that for the most part, uh, they're just thoroughly decent human beings who are stage struck in the nicest possible way and who love the thought that these great artists who give life-changing performances are also just plain old human beings who live a life. And, you know, you don't usually get rich working on Broadway. Mm. Um, Except uh, that's if you're something that many people don't realize. Um, you know, they are honest to God, folks like us who just can do something that we can't do. And uh, I, I find the whole thing touching, to be honest with you. Well, actually, uh, w one of the things that was uh, that seems to be important that also came up in conversations that I had at the at Broadway Con is the the idea that the fan is is trying to give back mm. to the performer. That's interesting. And explain to the performer. There, I I talked to 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 someone. They they had uh, come on Friday as Anatole from Great Comet. <laughs> Oh and on Saturday, they, wow. and on Saturday they were Karen from SpongeBob. So, the SpongeBob returns. So SpongeBob is never you, whoever you are far away. Uh, but anyway, so uh, they, they they were telling me that they had seen uh, Gypsy, but the the one with the um, oh my God, uh, Patty Lupone and Laura Benanti. Right. And once she was stage dooring, I guess I think I don't think it was maybe it was Gypsy or another. Laura Benanti and, and they told Laura Benanti, well, you know, s seeing you in Gypsy is when I realized I like girls. Hmm. By the way, a feeling I can totally understand because <laughs> Laura Benanti in Gypsy was just incredible. Right, I, she I would agree. turn yes. anybody. Yeah, I agree. Uh, she sure was. Yes. Um, and Laura Benanti, according to the fans' report, was just like kind of like very happy about it overwhelmed mm. it's like oh and I'm so glad this had this effect on you like it's a kind of revelation and I think that can work that way mm. so this is not a case of Eve Harringtoning or or stalking or it's just a kind of this is what you meant to me yeah and yes yeah it's a fascinating uh phenomenon I I and I and I I wonder uh, you know, the fact that only seven, to me, 7,000, that's three and a half audiences of Wicked, basically. Right. Yeah, 7,000 yeah, yeah. people is not a right. huge, I'm surprised, maybe it's just in the marketing of the uh, event. You'd think it would just be, you know, you I could think, get 15 or 20,000 people to something I think like it's this. also considered like the tip of the iceberg. I, I was surprised too. I'm like, oh my God, all these people are turning up for seven, you know, to do these panels. But like a lot of them come every year. Um I, it was really impressive. Mm. Uh, they had the entire, there was a Mean Girls panel with everybody was there. All the leads, Tina Fey, uh, like all the creative, like Casey Nicola, and, and it was really well attended, but you're thinking, do you, and Mean Girls is a hit. Like, do right. they do they need to do that technically? No, they don't need to do that. So what does it mean that they are doing that? Well, I think it's, you as know? you say, I, I mean, I think there's actually, you know, because Broadway is an organ, an, a live organism that has to be, mm -hmm. you know, refed, I think there is sort of a, 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 a consciousness that they need to, th to find, exercise all these a a a possibilities mm -hmm. as, you know, to, to bring in, you know, even if you're selling 15 tickets based on this or whatever. You know, right. To, and then I'll, I'll also say just to, to, to wrap, wrap this up, there were also some absolutely fantastic live performances. At the, uh, there was a Rodgers and Hammerstein panel where the cast of the Oklahoma revival that's 
was at St. Anne's Warehouse last year, is coming to Broadway this season. They were there doing songs from Oklahoma, but they were not doing the ones they do in the show. Mm-hmm. So Damon Dono, D- don't, I'm not sure to pronounce his last name, Damon Dono plays uh, Curly in the show. Mm-hmm. He's saying, I can't say no. Oh, that's cute. Uh, and and so on. Right. Uh, and and Rebecca Naomi Jones, uh, who plays uh, uh, Lori, right. uh, she did uh, Lonely Room. Oh, it's like it's like miscast that thing. They yeah, do. exactly. Right, right, right. So no, with the band, and it sounded fantastic. Mm. It was great. I yeah. mean, that was a, just a great moment. Just for that, I was so happy to be there. You know, I wish I I wish I could have come. Yeah. I, I, you make it sound wonderful. I'm going to do my best to be there next year. It just sounds lovely. I would I would actually say that all the critics should spend some time there because it is really a great experience yeah. and just and the panels there was a panel on black female playwrights with with dale orlander mm, smith and mm. like just really, so there's real meaty stuff oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. no That's like great. that panel was great so it's really like yeah you can go to a cosplay panel but you can also go to a panel on black female playwrights there was a panel on the 20 years of new york theater workshop and it was really interesting to hear their perspective on like okay so we did you know because we always think of the public as nurturing musicals, but New York Theatre Workshop has done quite a few mm. and very Rent, influential. Hello. Rent once, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, they've oh, really sure. uh, no, no, had no, a, a, a presence. Uh, Peter and the Starcatcher. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's been quite a few. So it was yeah. really uh, insightful and very interesting. I would really, really wish that critics kind of just forget their hangups and ideas about whatever fandom and right. and, and experience this. It's a really great. Uh, perspective on I, the stuff we cover. Well, one one last word. A critic incapable of being a fan is a critic who needs some therapy. Absolutely. Ooh. All right. No, yes. I cannot. I, I, I'm I with you too. And agree. I think I think if we were not critics, we probably would be going to Broadway Con. I, so there's that too. I. You know what? I actually had registered to go before I got the assignment to write about it. I was going to go. I was like, I, I've never been. I want to see what it's like. So anyway, so was, I highly recommend it. Well, thank you, and 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 bless you, Broadway Con. That's that's how <laughs> <Yes>. we feel. <laughs> so uh, so now we're going to turn our attention uh, to a Broadway baby who I believe everybody would think it's wor- is worth worshiping. Uh, on January fifteenth, Carol Channing, a truly singular sensation, died at the age of ninety seven. A few actors, aside maybe from the fictional James Tyrone of County Monarch. Monte Cristo renown in Long Day's Journey and Tonight have ever become as synonymous with a single stage role as Channing did with Dolly. I went back and looked at the uh, the original New York Times review of her in Dolly of Jan- in January 17th, 1964, and here's what they said about her. I don't even remember who the critic was, actually. Miss Channing's Dolly is all benevolent guile. She can talk faster than a con man without losing her big-eyed, innocent gleam resplendent in scarlet gown embroidered with jewels and a feathered headdress which has now become world famous i'm adding that and looking like a gorgeous animated cupid doll she sings the rousing title song with earthy zest and leads a male chorus of waiters and chefs in a joyous promenade around the walk that circles the top of the pit that written on a deadline written on a deadline and also you know it's become sort of we've absorbed this now as kind of we all know this is part of the the legend of the piece we we know oh it was howard taubman who wrote it thank you kirby uh that the um um this would be a role of course that she would return to again and again 
for and decades. I, I finally saw her in it in the in the 90s for decades. And though stars like Pearl Bailey and uh, more recently Bette Midler left their marks, their own marks on the role, Channing is forever the quintessential Dolly. Um, Terry, I know you have some thoughts about all of this. Could you put her and her gifts in some perspective? Well, let's start with the historical perspective. It, it is very easy to forget that Carol Channing was, I think quite possibly, our last surviving tie to the great days of post-war Broadway. Mm -hmm. She became a star in 1949 mm. with Gentlemen Preferred Blondes, mm. and it wasn't her first Broadway show anyway. Uh, but it's true that she's mainly remembered for Hello, Dolly, and she made such a tremendous impact in that show, not just in the original production, but over the years, that it's easy to forget that it was also not only her greatest success, but in a sense, her last one, mm. her only mm -hmm. one. She spent the rest of her life playing Dolly at regular intervals all over the world, but she never had another full-fledged Broadway hit of a show that is still remembered. Mm unless you count Lorelei, which was a revised version of Gentlemen for Blondes, and nobody does it anymore. Right. Uh, in fact, most people under the age of 70 who remember her, remember her as a guest star on television. Mm -hmm. uh, I never saw her live. What I remember her as is, is as a panelist on What's My Line when I was a kid. <laughs> you know, and, and that really does her a disservice because we know from recordings, from television uh, performances, she was one of those larger-than-life performances, like Ethel Merman, like, may we say it, Patti LuPone, who simply don't come off anywhere but in a theater, mm -hmm. performing in front of a live audience. And those artists, well, God bless them, they have a way of getting forgotten over time because their essence is an essence that can only be, be brought to fruition in the theater. They are of the theater theatrical. And uh, I hope she's remembered as something more than just the wonderful woman in the Al Hirschfeld caricature. Uh, and of course, she will always be remembered as the woman whom we hear in the original cast album of Hello, Dolly. But since she didn't make the movie, since she left behind, in fact, very few representative visual documents of her performance as Dolly, you got to wonder uh, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, Will we know who she is? Uh, our our friends uh, who go to theater and write about it, who are in their 20s and 30s, she's nothing more than a name, if that. And that's, that's a sobering thought. Uh, it's a thought that really goes to the essence of what theater is, of its evanescent quality. Um, and its tragic nature. Uh, the tragedy of a stage career is that unless you're lucky enough to have left behind filmed evidence of your work, it lives as long as you do, and then, poof, mm. it's gone. Mm. Mm. No, it's. I mean, I, I, I've never seen her live, so it's hard to grasp. So there's something very um, theoretical right. <laughs> about her to me, where I understand the meaning and the appeal and the weight, but I am not understanding it you haven't metabolized it i haven't exactly yeah. i have not uh uh it's it's tough and it's very uh it's very wistful it, it, it's very bittersweet about all this although i think now a lot of the people we watch now also have tv and movie careers and more stuff is captured now mm -hmm. i think and and taped and recorded but you never get the same 
impact and impression on on tape uh, it's no if, if you go to youtube you can find a film it was a silent film was taken uh the original cast of hello dolly gave a command performance at the white house on a small stage there uh for lyndon johnson and some wild fanatic <laughs> synchronized that film with the original cast album and of course you know they were performing it right down the center so they were able to do that and that's the closest we're ever going to get to knowing what it was like to see carol channing on stage in 1964. Theater is a present tense medium. That is its glory. That is its tragedy. I actually saw her on stage in the 90s in her last Broadway tour of uh, uh, the round of doing it. I had also seen, by pure happenstance, the final performance of Hello, Dolly! on Broadway when Ethel Merman played it and closed the show. Oh, my God. Yes, I know. <laughs> how, how old were you? That's incredible. Uh, I was about 13. Four. Old enough to know what you were saying. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I not fully, but I sat in the front row for oh the final God. performance. I had just sent away for tickets in those days, and you got them back in an envelope with, you know, it was hilarious. You sent $4 or $10 or whatever it was. And uh, then I saw her do it, and, you know, I had seen Merman, and Merman wasn't Dolly. And then I saw, and I had seen other people do it over the years, but Channing, you know, it was as if it was, it was just a freakish uh, uh, tattooing of a role to someone's a physical being. And you, you, you just couldn't imagine her not believing that she was Dolly Gallagher-Levi. It just was a one of those one-of-a-kind um, marriages of a person in a role. They happen less and less, I think, these days. But it was a singular kind of belief that she exuded. In spite of herself, she wasn't a great dramatic actress. It it's was not just, about it that. Was a, it was a, an ebullience that probably is somehow encapsulated by her that smile, that grin that her, Al Hirschfeld, you know, also captured. But there was something wondrous about it, and I think that over time too, uh, something about that permeated the entire culture in a way that Lin Manuel did mm-hmm. uh, has. Even though in those days, many few people got uh, exposure at least, you know, firsthand or even on television, you know, even if she were was a, a an occasional guest star or even a panelist on talk on game shows. So right. uh, I think that it's 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 a remarkable passing and I do think she'll be remembered in that way that uh, uh, other great uh, performers in those indelible roles uh, just are. I hope so. I really hope so. I, I was just thinking as you talked about that, how many times did the person who created the role make a film that really captured what they were in the role? Yul Brynner did it in The King and I. Right. Uh, Robert, Robert Preston did it in The Music Man. Bobby Morris did it I, in uh, How to Succeed. How to succeed. Yeah. Rex Harrison. But, yeah, but generally speaking, <laughs> uh, Hollywood was not good at capturing those essences. No. And uh, you know, there's a reason for that, aside from their own misguidedness, which is that uh, the camera isn't good at preserving a larger-than-life performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and we're lucky to have had those. I wish we'd had it with Carol Channing. All right. Well, uh, there's no topping Channing, of course, but we have uh, we had someone in our studio uh, a little while ago. In our, own, our own little star. Our own little we star. Sure uh, we wanted to, uh, to tip our chapeau to our recent guest, critic Helen Shaw, uh, who has just received the uh, G- uh, George G. Nathan Award for Theater Criticism, 
so it was great news. I was very, very happy for Helen. It could not be any more deserved. Uh, it certainly couldn't. Uh, and it was well done and well deserved, Helen. And um, and now please go back to listening to our podcast with Helen because it is a total hoot. <laughs> it is so yes. good and so, uh, if I may say so myself, and so uh, interesting mm-hmm. um, and insightful. Uh, I mean, she is. We're just trying to get you know keep up with her. Yeah. And uh, now to be that to be that smart and that charming is <laughs> indeed a very a very nifty combination. <laughs> Uh, and she's, by the way, she's a huge uh, science fiction fan. Oh my god! To a level that I can't reveal here, but it's. Let me tell you, she's uh, she's probably been to a con or two in her. Oh my goodness! In in her, in her lifetime. Uh, okay, so now we're gonna get to our regular feature of what have we seen lately, uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start uh, with something I saw at the public theaters uh, recently finished under the radar festival which is every January, and it's usually a funky uh, experimental stuff. And I saw a show called 5050 Old School Animation, which was one of the most disturbing things I've seen in a long time. Uh, and it's barely an hour. There's almost n- very little happening on stage. And it's two. It's a diptych of two monologues. One is by the uh, co-creator, co-writer uh, Julia Mounsey, who talks uh, about the fact that she likes inflicting pain on others and uh, she's not she's not a dominatrix she is uh she likes mentally she likes being mentally cruel to her friends and you really cannot mm. tell what is fact or fiction and it starts as very autobiographical and then she kind of veers a bit from that but it's very unsettling because she's in she's behind a stand up mic and uh, just standing them there and saying this monologue, completely unsmiling. <laughs> She's very petite and frail looking, and she talks about how the cruelty, the horror that she inflicted on a friend of hers mm. um, by basically gaslighting her friend. Uh, and it ends with a visual. I hope this show comes back, so I don't want to run it, but it ends with a visual that was completely terrifying, and she barely does anything. Wow. Uh, and then the second half is another monologue by uh, uh, a woman named Mo uh, uh, Fry Pasek. And you gradually realize she is the friend. Mm. Who is oh, cool. cruel. I don't think I'm revealing anything because it, it, it becomes pretty clear early on that that's who, that's who it is. Mm. So you get her side of it. Uh, and it also Boy, ends with something. You have piqued my interest yeah, it in is, a very high degree. It's completely brilliant. Mm. It's absolutely brilliant. Mm. Uh, and so little happens. And it's and I was on the literally on the edge of my seat the entire time. Mm. I really hope someone breaks it back. It deserves a, a longer run. Although the toll of doing that every night, I can't, I don't know. Mm. But uh, anyway, Intense. it's wonderful. And it's uh, co-written uh, and co-directed by uh, Peter Mills Weiss. Mm. Uh with Julia Manzi. I highly mm. recommend it. It's called 5050 Old School Animation. Mm. Uh, mm. T- t- Terry, you want to... Well, to begin with, many of you listening will, will be aware that my wife, Mrs. T, has gone through a siege of illness, which caused me to uh, be out of the aisle seat uh, for a couple of weeks. As a result of this, I saw Choir Boy, uh, which is the hot show of the moment, after the press performances after the show had opened and after the reviews had hit. Uh, I got there this past Wednesday. Uh, and of course, the the marquee is is plastered with, with quotes. I've never seen so many quote signs in front of a Broadway theater. Uh, and as you know, the, the 
critical response to this show was fairly close to unanimous, about as close as it gets, that it's a, a wonderful, great, life-changing show. And long experience has taught me to be suspicious of critical unanimity. Uh, I don't go in with a chip on my shoulder, but I was really wondering how my experience of the show would tally with this response. And I must say, although it is a fabulous production uh, with a fabulous cast, and I actually saw the understudy for the star, and he was as good as, as any Broadway star could possibly be, it's really not a very good play. Mm. Yeah. I, uh, it's, yeah. it's thin. Mm. It's paper thin. Uh, every characterization is a cliche. Um, uh, it's, I, I said in my review for the Wall Street Journal that it's the kind of show that is its own spoiler alert because within the first 30 seconds, you know what the premise is, mm. you know what's going along, and you're pretty sure that you know what's going to happen, and you're right. Uh, uh, I, I will give Terrell Alvin McCraney credit for not having gone for the most obvious kind of, of happy ending. He was, he was decent about that. But otherwise, this is a show whose success, I think, is rooted both in its fabulous presentation and in the fact that it is so obvious that it does tell the viewer what we want to hear, which is, uh, not to put too fine a point on it, you know, that a gay man, a very effeminate young gay man, that's the premise of the show, uh, can find his own pathway to manhood and still be himself. And, of course, that's an entirely admirable lesson for a show to teach. If you think that shows ought to teach lessons, that's a good one. But... Good intentions do not equal good art mm -hmm. in theater or anywhere else in the world of art. Mm. And uh, I, I was outside of the production, uh, directed beautifully directed by Trip Coleman, and with extraordinary singing by the nine uh, young men who play the students of the choir about whom the, the play revolves around. Uh, it's fabulous, but it's thin. Mm. I, I kept thinking of what a really smart playwright like Lydia Diamond, who has written brilliantly about the black bourgeoisie and the black upper class. You know, she would have made sure that you came away finding out something about that school, why it exists, who goes there, what kinds of parents sent their kids there. Uh, but, he's, uh, he's, a, nope. he's a bit more uh, poetic writer than uh, that kind of writer. It's not the way he does. But uh, All right, okay, so let, let's move on to Peter. Peter, what uh, what have you seen? Well, uh, I have not seen Choir Boy, actually. So, really? Uh, yeah, I have not seen it. Well, I, 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 I was taking a little time off and then went to Puerto Rico. Uh, <laughs> so I have to catch up with it, although the two of you have not made me uh, want to see it any more than um, I had the feeling for it before. Anyway. <laughs> I um, I'm going to just talk about a show that uh, did not exceed, uh, did not uh, waste its time on the uh, uh, on the stage and actually gives new meaning to the term uh, give them a hand because uh, it's called as far as my fingertips take me and the essential part of the show is that you walk it's a one on one show it was at the under the radar festival first oh. at the public theater it's now at Woolly Mammoth Theater in Washington and the essentials of the show are it's a show about um, a refuge the refugee experience and what you do is you put on a white lab coat they close the door behind you and you stick your left arm through a hole 
and you roll up your sleeve and uh, you're literally drawn into the show because the artist on the other side draws on your hand as they tell you a story and sing you a song about the experience of leaving Syria and, and moving on from do, there. Do, do, do you see the artist? No. Or not, at, not at all? No. It's a, it's a real leap of faith. I mean, it's a strange experience to put your arm through and, and not know exactly what's it's about to happen. It's a theatrical glory hole. <laughs> anyway, I was very skeptical. You know, immersion, that was really uh, uncalled for, Elizabeth. Uh, but, uh, and, and, and I, was, I was not expecting to have any kind of um, meta, um, um, uh, epiphany, but it was a quite moving experience because when you pull your arm out, he's drawn this quite wonderful uh, uh, cartoon, essentially, of refugees on a line. You and know, you like, haven't seen what he was drawing. No, you have right. no idea. You feel it, and it's very soothing to have this story told to you, and then this song sung in Arabic, uh, whose words are on the side of the wall in, in English. And it really is about reaching out. It's about extending oneself. And the idea, I think, it, it, inherent in it, when you think about it, is that, you know, uh, refugees are all in the are all thrust into the unknown, and there is a there is something that does actually happen to you. You come out feeling uh, consoled by the idea that this can be turned. This experience can be turned into art of a most um, of a most uh, uh, apparent kind. So I. I was surprised by it. And again, it was 10 minutes, the entire experience. Oh, 10 minutes. Wow. 10 minutes. Well, is there only one performer? Yes. Yes. So that means that they can, so to speak, only service, what, uh, <laughs> 10 people a show? Uh, well, I... And how how do they work this? Uh, they, you sit outside of your, your, your time. You're given an appointment time as if you're going to the doctor. And you sit outside and you wait for the door to open and someone, you know, they... they oh, they put headphones on you, I should oh. say. So it's it's all narrated through a pair of headphones. And you're you're led in. There's a, a, a young woman who hygienically cleans the headphones and the area <laughs> you're in. <laughs> and you can, you know... The ink is washable, so you don't have to have this for the rest of your life. But it's, yes, it's not, they're not commanding, um, this is not going to be Dear Evan Hansen level audience attend, uh, attendance. It's by a uh, Lebanese, uh, I mean, a woman, who, uh, a, play, a female playwright, Tanya El Khoury, and the artist is uh, Basil Zara, who I think it actually happened to. I think this is his story. Um, and so it's, it's, uh, it's a completely, uh, uh, it's a completely personalized uh, uh, kind of theater. I think it's kind of wonderful. I'm fascinated. I mean, being being a hard-headed, practical sort of person, uh, you know, the first question I ask is, you know, how do you do this in such a way that uh, you can <laughs> make uh, some pay money? the rent on the theater? I, I, you know, I don't I, think profit I think this uh, is a, enters you know, the... We depend on the kindness of grantors yeah. kind of theater. <laughs> 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 the well, kindness of Grentors. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that is really good. Well, anyway, um, uh, that's all we have time for in this inst installment of Three on the Isle Theater Lovers. Buckle up for 2019 because we're coming back at you soon. I'm Peter Marks. And I'm Elizabeth Vincentelli. And I'm Terry Teachout. Our producer is the Babelicious Kirby Page. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my God! You can follow oh, us. Oh, I love that. I, There's I, a, I, that's I, a good. That's a winner. Thank There's you very much. There's a Kirby panel at uh, BroadwayCon 2020. Yeah, right. <laughs> <Is it>? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can follow us on Twitter at Three on the Isle. 
and write to us at three on the aisle at gmail.com. And please let us know what other topics you'd like to hear on future episodes. Uh, oh, and don't forget to leave us a review or rating. I, uh, I mean, and by that I mean, don't forget to leave us a five star review <laughs> or rating on iTunes or Google Play. Oh, you can do the other thing if you really want to. We're grateful for the fact that you're listening. <laughs> And we'll be with you again soon on the aisle.